When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. What's going on, everybody? It is Ricky LeBlue, the associate editor and Virginia Tech football beat writer for TechSideline.com. Welcome back to another episode of the TSL Podcast. Yes, I know that we just put out an episode of the podcast, but we're doing a little different this week. We're going to have two podcasts this week because National Sign Day was yesterday and also Tech played a basketball game last night. In case you weren't uh, aware of that one, we're going to hit on that first. But yes, Virginia Tech had National Signing Day yesterday. Virginia Tech's 2018 class is finally done. Tech got some good news yesterday, some really good news. They got some bad news yesterday. Uh, Wednesday, yesterday was a long day for all three of us, specifically for Chris over here. So, Chris, are you feeling a little bit better than maybe at the end of the day yesterday you were? Yeah, yeah. I'm good today. I'm <laughs> yeah, good today. I feel I'm, like you were. I'm happy with everything. You are probably uh, dragging feet by the end of the basketball game, yeah, weren't you? Yeah, it was, it was a late, late evening. But uh, I think I got done with a recap a little bit after 1 o'clock in the morning. And then uh, – you know, you settled on for bed. So I probably went to sleep at like one forty-five. Well, like well so Anthony Grant announced at 7 a.m. Yeah. yesterday, 7 a.m. sharp. Well, actually, no, it was a little after that. And then um, the, I guess, the, probably the basketball pre- uh, post-game press conference was probably around, what, 11.30, something like that, almost 11.45. So that's a long day right there. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Definitely. Will, how are you, are you as uh, drained as Chris was? Or oh, my gosh. I'm too old for this. Uh, so... <laughs> So a little bit of a window into how Tech Sideline works. Um, you know, Chris will go and he'll he'll be there at the game. He writes it up later, and I always go in afterwards and do the edit. Um, so if there are typos and wrong information, don't blame him. <laughs> um, and then I put it into the schedules and all that stuff. So I'm up late too. I was up till one thirty last night, and and. You know, I, I got to my desk at 7 a.m. yesterday morning because of the grant announcement. And uh, actually a little bit before 7 a.m. And I just basically sat in the chair until 5 p.m. <laughs> I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, what what would a time-lapse video of that look like? <laughs> Ten hours of me just sitting a in a chair in front of a computer? <laughs> you know, I, I go to a chiropractor because like two or three years ago, my back had had enough of just sitting in front of a computer all day long. Yeah. So. But, you do a lot of sitting in front of a computer. You you don't really do as much on-site stuff as someone like me or Chris does. Yeah, that's right. I, I do a lot of sitting in front of the computer. <laughs> Fortunately, I'm one of the people that, that can mentally tolerate that. I really don't mind. I'm not one of these guys who's like, no, i got to get out and work with my hands and all that stuff. <laughs> so anyway, it's kind of a long answer to a simple question. <laughs> Let's go ahead and dive into the Virginia Tech men's basketball game that was last night. Virginia Tech knocks off NC State. 85-75, that was a late o'clock or a late game, 9 o'clock tip. Uh, J-Rob, 32 points, that's a career high. 11 of 17 from the field. He did have five turnovers, and I know he lamented something about that in the in the postgame. Benching. Um, <laughs> but, man, he uh, he was able to take it over a little bit last night, wasn't he? Yeah, you know, when they can tilt the court and he can get to playing downhill, he's a very difficult player to stop, and... It just seemed a little too easy for him last night. And, you know, NC State bunched up on Tech shooters out on the perimeter, which gave him driving lanes. And, and then NC State did not rotate very yeah. well on defense, and they just opened that lane up over and over and over. Yeah, it was, it was, it was not a good defensive performance by, by NC State. Um, and NC State has made their bread this year but with the turnover margin. You know, they're not very good when it comes to effective field goal percentage. They're not very good when it comes to defensive effective field goal percentage. Uh, they're good in offensive, pretty good in offensive and defensive efficiency because they have extra possessions because of their turnover margin's been so good. Uh, you, you know, in their one point win over Clemson, they were plus thirteen in turnovers. Mm-hmm. I believe uh, they were minus four last night. They correct? were, yeah, I think they were more minus four last night. You know, they were plus six, I think, against North Carolina in an overtime win, and uh, they were plus four or five and and one of their other big against Duke when they beat Duke. I think I. They beat, yeah, they beat Duke. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure yeah. they beat. Yeah. yeah, right. Yeah. So, so, and three of their four big wins this year, and they were very narrow wins. It went down to the wire. They've had a big 
uh, advantage in turnover margin, and Virginia Tech was able to flip that last night. Virginia Tech forced 15 turnovers and had 23 points off mm-hmm. of those turnovers. That seemed to be one of the the bigger uh, parts of the, the box score last and night. And Tech had 56 points in the paint because of what yeah. Robinson was doing. Tech so. only attempted 10 <clears throat> three-pointers last night, which is well, odd. They, the, the NC State but, 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 took but like that away. Like you said, NC State tried to yeah. take that away. So let me throw some stats at you. Uh, Tech was something like 33 of 52 overall. Three of ten from three point range, which makes them thirty of forty two from two point range, which is just incredible. They had fifty six points in the paint, um, and uh, I thought there were two. Uh, hopefully, I won't forget any of this because I got a bunch of stuff in my brain all at once. I thought there were two critical sequences in the game. It was tied twenty three all, and then Tech went on a fourteen to one run, and they got some separation. And then later, NC State closed it. It was. 67-60, and NC State had an open three-pointer and missed it. And Tech came down, and Justin Robinson made a three-pointer to push it back to 70-60. to 60. I thought those were two key sequences. And then lastly, uh, you know, I sit there, even though I'm in the stands, I follow the stats on my phone, and I'm pretty sure at one point NC State was 8 of 17 from three-point range, and they finished 10 of 30, 10 which of tells you 10 of 31. So they made two of their last 14. Mm-hmm. And I took a friend of mine uh, lives out in my neighborhood. He's an NC State graduate. I, at any time NC State comes to Castle, I'll take him with me. And we were just sitting there watching. And I told him, I said, you guys are going to get some open looks from three. You got to make them. And they just got to a point in the game where they couldn't make them anymore. And, and Virginia Tech was able to bring it home. I've always thought that, that Justin Robinson had the ability to score well. But I never thought saw him as a thirty point guy, a guy that could that could get you thirty two when the defense is is doing what you were talking about, how they're really kind of opening up the lane. Um, were you kind of surprised by his ability to, you know, kind of take that game over? Well, it's it's always surprising when you see a player that's just able to get into the lane that much. Um, you know, he had, he hit two three pointers in that game, but the vast majority of his production came from within one foot of the basket. Yeah, and, and that's that's rare to see. And it's you know you you can see that happening for a half and then NC State making an adjustment and focusing in in on it, but they they really didn't. You know uh, there was one little stretch where they got back in the game where I thought they did a better job, but uh, then it went right back to uh, him get going down the the, uh, the lane at will again. Uh, so I I think it just it wasn't there for NC State last night, and it was there for Virginia Tech. Uh, you know if if they had made. Let's just, let's just say they'd made five more. They had a bad free throw shooting night. Let's say they'd made five more free throws and hit one more three-pointer. I mean, you know, you're talking about an 18-point win yeah. at, the, at that point. And, and NC State is a team that has beaten Arizona, North Carolina, Duke, and Clemson. And they've also lost to UNC Greensboro, and they've lost to Northern Iowa. They they scored, I think, 90 points on uh, on Arizona in that win. And the very next day... They lost to Northern Iowa and scored sixty points. And Northern Iowa is in dead last in the Missouri Valley. Seems like Conference. a very hot and cold, very team. hot and cold team. And well, which is somewhat understandable when you're in the first year of a head coach. And right. obviously, Kevin Keats is there in his first year. Uh, Virginia Tech is now seventeen and seven on the year. They're six and five in the ACC. It seems like there have been multiple times this year where we've kind of looked at the team and thought, "Eh, it's not looking all that great." And then they win a game that they're really supposed to win and say. Eh, hold on, there's still a realistic chance here. And that's the nature, and I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, that's the nature of being a not an elite basketball team and not a terrible basketball team. You're going to... You're going to have these ebbs and flows. Yeah, you know, and and I was telling my buddy on the way home last night, I'm not surprised Virginia Tech won because NC State had won three games in a row. And when you're a middle-of-the-pack ACC team, like NC State and Virginia Tech are... They're going to regress to the mean bit. And you start building you know getting getting three wins in a row you're due you know and, and <laughs> you're due, you're, you're due for a loss <laughs> and and i wasn't surprised that virginia tech bounced back from that that poor effort against miami and you know the only outlier i can think about that is i think two years ago tech won five games in a row in february Got but that, that's on yeah they, they, well they won five in a row in the regular season and, and then, then the first won, game of the acc tournament yeah, there also were, so there were, six six wins in a row there were five and eight in the conference and mm-hmm. ended up ten and, ten and eight. you know like i right. said they won one in the tournament so the other thing i just dug up while you guys were talking was uh in the first 17 games techs played 24 games in the first 17 games, Justin Robinson did not lead Tech in scoring 
a single time in the first 17 games. He's led him in scoring five out of the last seven. Interesting. You know, that and, is an interesting and, stat. And you can debate whether or not that's good or bad. How much do you want your point guard scoring, you know? But last night, you know. Works for me. <laughs> the, the group text that me and my friends had going, somebody texted, I think it was late first half, early second half. He said, NC State's not rotating on over on defense. Robinson might score 40. He could have. I, I asked him last night after the game. You know, people were the media was asking him about his performance. He's like, "Yeah, but you know, I had five turnovers and I missed six free throws." He's like, "After I missed the third free throw, I heard my mom yelling at me from the crowd." <laughs> and so, so I'm sitting there like, "So everybody's patting you on the back for scoring 32, and you're actually mad that you didn't score 40." Like, well, yeah, I well, could have scored. Say, 40. I was about to say, didn't he say that he he really probably should yeah. have scored 40? So, so is J. Rob's mom the opposite of Seth Allen's dad? If, <laughs> if you read my stuff, you know that uh, Seth Allen's dad was was a regular at the games, even when Seth was was uh, red redshirting because he transferred. And I remember that that game where um, it was my birthday a couple of years ago, where WVU came in and just smoked Tech in Castle Coliseum, blew him out. And I could hear, I didn't know it was Seth Allen's dad at the time, but I could hear him, just keep playing your game, baby. It'll happen. He's always very positive, you know. So when I hear that story, I'm it like, it takes a really strong person to be like that when oh, you're getting man. blown he, off the he, floor. Well, it, it was a it was a it was a window into Seth Allen's personality and why he had the confidence to. He was those. He, he was always a positive guy. Even after a loss, he was always trying to find the positives in there and what they could take away from it that they could build upon. And he's remembered as this great end game finisher. And yes, he was very good as a senior, but, but I think the UVA game last year, he missed two potential game winning shots before he finally made the game winning shot. Yeah. But it was, it was a window into his personality. Like, like he could, he could erase the misses and and be confident that he was going to, going to make it. One of the things I didn't write down on my notes here, but that I, I think we should talk about is the impact of Devin Wilson starting in this game. Devin did start. Ahmed did not start. I believe Ahmed was actually not even the first off the bench. Is that correct? I think you're right. I think Chris Clark was yeah, the first so, off the bench. Yeah. Um, was that maybe part of Buzz trying to jumpstart this team well, and get their defensive effort going early he on? He said, you know, after the game, he's like, you know, we got to get better defensively. And, and he's right. And Devin Wilson played 24 minutes last night. I think there was always a concern that if you play Devin Wilson too much, you won't be able to score. Well, they played him 24 minutes last night. And, and they Tech still, still scored, scored 85, 85 <laughs> points. And they could have scored more if they hadn't had such a bad free throw shooting. Number. Yeah. Um, so I, I – and, and I, I will, I'm willing to sacrifice that. Tech has enough guys on the court that can score. You know, they don't need five wrong, guys yeah. on the court who can score. You're not wrong. You need at least one stopper. Right, right. And Bibbs and Wilson are Tech's two best defenders, and if you get those guys on the court at the same time for extended minutes, you will play better defense. And this team doesn't have to be a great defensive team. They just have to be average, mediocre. Yeah. Because if they can hold a team to 75 points or fewer, there's they're gonna a win great chance they're going to win the game. Yeah, 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 yeah exactly. But and, and I think Beatty will serve. Would Bisa Beatty will serve that function in the future? In the future. Really good on ball defender, yeah. just uh, just an excellent athlete, yeah. you know. And and he's got a lot of potential offensively. He doesn't have the, at this point in his career. He doesn't have the ability to to take it to the rack like like Justin Robinson and, does. And he's very got, few guys do. Yeah. Right. yeah. yeah now, exactly. Beatty has the athleticism to do it, but he doesn't quite have the game to do it right. yet. Yeah. So Virginia Tech has probably uh, the toughest two-game road stretch they've maybe seen in the Buzz Williams tenure coming up yeah. um, at UVA, who could be number one. Um, Duke at Duke, who is not going to be number one, obviously, but they're going to be a, a top seven, top eight team. Uh, when the rankings come out, um, do you feel like Tech has to steal one of these games, or do you feel like I don't think they have to, or do you feel like that they um, that they can still? If they have to, then they might as well not play the rest of the season because they're well, probably not. <laughs> well, here, here's a question for you: Is Virginia Tech's RPI actually going to go up even if they lose both those games? Probably will. Yeah, yeah. that's just how it works. But that's a um, whole separate rant. That's a whole yeah, exactly terrible <laughs> formula. And the, the bottom line is, we we don't know. Uh, exactly the metrics that the committee uses anymore. Uh, when I wrote an article last week and I was studying all the numbers, I didn't see any evidence that the selection committee was using the BPI and, and, and the Kim Pomeroy ratings like, like we were told they were going to. Today, when I checked Bracketology with Joe Lenardi, he had Virginia Tech as a 10 seed. Not even one of the last four outs, but as a 10 seed. Yeah. And, he, and he had NC State as one of the last four in. So lower than Virginia Tech. Now, NC State has a better resume than Virginia Tech because you don't count head-to-head. So throw throw the head-to-head result out. But NC State has, from a pure RPI standpoint, 
NC State has a better resume. They have a better strength of schedule. They have a better RPI, and they have more quality wins. They have four top 50 wins, and actually four top 25 wins, I think, if you think about it. Really good resume. But Lenardi has them below Virginia Tech. And if you look at the BPI and you look at the Ken Pomeroy ratings, Virginia Tech is way higher than NC State in those two metrics. So I think Lenardi's getting some feedback from the committee that, hey, we actually are going to use the BPI. We are going to use Ken Palm. And if that's the case, that puts Virginia Tech in a much better situation than they were a week ago as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. But Because I'm sitting here looking at all the all the uh, bracketology stuff a week ago, and I'm thinking, it looks like they're still only lose, using RPI and SOS. And it just seems like this week that Lunardi has started taking into account the other stuff, at least as far as Virginia Tech goes, in, into his bracketology. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. But uh, you know, right now, I think Virginia Tech is their 41st in Ken Palm. They're 30th in the BPI. They're only 65th in the RPI. But for NC State, it's like reversed. NC State has a better RPI than Tech, but Virginia Tech is way higher in the BPI and the Ken Pomeroy right? Didn't you say that NC State has a 90 in one of those two, or were, were we talking about we somebody else? We were talking else? about somebody else. Yeah, we were probably. talking about Washington. Washington is 33rd in the RPI and 90th in the Ken Pomeroy race. Right. Which is funny because I think coming into the season, everybody expected Washington to maybe be a 10-win team right. overall. Well, and, <laughs> well, and, and here's another one. Uh, Washington, 33rd in the RPI with a Ken Pomeroy ranking of 90th, also one of the last four in, below Virginia Tech. Overall, despite the head-to-head result between the two teams, Washington has a better resume as far as the RPI and all that stuff goes. But the Ken Pomeroy rating is way worse than Tech's, and they're, so they're lower than, than Virginia Tech and Joe Lenardi's rating. So I'm actually starting to think that the committee's actually going to use that other stuff this year. You either have to be experienced with this stuff or be a, a, a rocket scientist to understand oh, what oh, the hell oh, is Oh, I'm experienced. With, I've been, I've been, I know uh, you are, but yeah, I'm not. I've been doing this for 10 years, man, <laughs> as far as Tech being on the bubble. Well, yeah, yeah. Tech, Tech has yeah. been on the bubble a lot in the last 15, 15 years or so. Um, let's go ahead and put a, a bow on Virginia Tech basketball. Well, now, wait a minute. Let me say one more thing about that. Trip Will to always EVA. in here messing with the schedule. Go yeah, ahead, man. I'm, I'm yeah. always looking at my phone. Looking, I'd like to say one up. thing about that, too. Okay. So, in January of 2011, Tech won seven years ago. Tech won in Charlottesville 47 45. And that was what not the Duran Washington. That was Dorenzo Hudson making a last yeah, second. Yeah, Dorenzo made a three pointer. Yep. Uh, since then, all they've done in Charlottesville is lose. And here are the scores. 73 to 55, 65 to 45, 69 to 57, 67 to 49, 71 to 48 last so, year. So basically they just runners. get blown out. They are getting hammered in Charlottesville. Yeah. And they got destroyed in Blacksburg earlier this season. Yeah. So I'm telling you, the game's at 6.15 p.m. Saturday night. You should keep an eye on it. But, you know, if you want to make other plans, go ahead. Uh, <laughs> see, I'm taking the opposite view. I don't think Virginia Tech's going to win. I think they'll have a better showing than they did in the first meeting. I, I walked into the Bowman room last night, and Virginia, uh, excuse me, Virginia was losing by 10 to Florida State. They had it on a TV in the Bowman room. Yeah. yeah. And so, they ended up so within five to- minutes of me getting my – uh, getting my meal, uh, Virginia. What did I say earlier? Florida State was up by ten. Yeah, twenty nine nineteen. I think they were up. Uh, and within five minutes of getting my food, this was in the second half though. Okay. When I, was, I know. I, 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 I first it was a ten watching. point game at one point in the second half. Yeah. And Virginia, Virginia came back just like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, if Virginia loses tonight. There is no way that, that we they, have any chance yeah. of beating them on Saturday night. But they're twelve and zero now, right? And the they gotta lose at some point. I haven't looked at the rest of their schedule, but I, th- I would have to think their toughest game is at Duke, and they won that. So of course, always, so are they going to go undefeated in the ACC? Probably I mean, not. I mean, right. it's so, possible, so but... when are they going to lose? They got to lose at some point, right? <laughs> I'm not saying I'm not predicting Virginia Tech to do it, but I, it would not be a surprise if it happened just based on the law of averages. So you're they saying... have to lose at some. So you're, I'm telling you, there's a chance. <laughs> so you're <laughs> saying there's a chance. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. So just. Keep that in mind. If it does happen, now this is the biggest game in Virginia basketball history in a long, long time because game day is going to be there and they yeah. can move up to number one in the country. Yeah. I yeah. Mean, this is yeah, huge. You're right. This is like their their 2005 Miami game. Yeah. All right. Well, we'll see. Virginia Tech does have a really tough uh, two-game schedule coming up, UV, obviously, and then at Cameron Indoor. 
against uh, the Duke Blue Devils, who are going to be a heck of a matchup for Virginia Tech down low. And we'll obviously talk more about that as we get closer to that game. But now let's go ahead and move on to National Signing Day, which was, yes, yesterday. Uh, Virginia Tech, like we said or when we started the podcast, we got some good news for the Hokies. The Hokies got some bad news. Um, so let's kind of go through a little – Never mind. Will wants to go ahead no, and No, go ahead and keep talking. I'm just raising my hand saying, like, I want to take this one before Chris starts. Okay. Going. All right. All right. So the the way I want to start this is chronologically speaking, Virginia Tech starts their National Signing Day with 22 signees. And coming into National Signing Day, we had heard that they were feeling pretty confident on Anthony Grant. And uh, then seven-ish rolls around and Anthony Grant signs with Florida State. Mm-hmm. And uh, our group chat immediately imploded uh, about kind of just like how we don't understand it. Tech was feeling confident about this. Tech was at least in some way misled in this case. Yeah. Um, And then it was kind of like that really until um, Dax Hollyfield announced because there was no announcements in between. And then Dax picks Virginia Tech and then it's all elation. And I think half the Tech fans just completely checked out at that point about Javante Jean-Baptiste and Jamarcus Chapman. But... Um, to me personally, it feels like that since Virginia Tech got Dax, it's a whole heck of a lot easier to handle or deal with the quote unquote shenanigans surrounding the Anthony Grant or Javante Jean Baptiste recruitments. Yeah. So, so a couple of things, if you, if you okay, want to go if, ahead, if you want to look at rankings, if you want to look at the very detailed composite ranking that, uh, 24 seven does. Dax is the highest-rated recruit that Virginia Tech signed. Um, can't remember who's right behind him. I think Trey Turner might be. It'd be Trey Turner, Trey and then Turner. I believe Quincy would yeah. be would be third there. Yeah, so, yes, it was a big get. But in following everything yesterday and, and reading all the articles, you know, there were, there were essentially four guys on the board going into yesterday. Chapman was not going to come here. We knew that. Basically, yeah. Um, so let's go to Tuesday. Okay. And in reading articles and, and catching up on information, Javante Jean-Baptiste wakes up Tuesday morning thinking he's going to go to Virginia Tech. And he decides sometime in the afternoon, and this is from a, an article written by a New Jersey writer, he decides sometime in the afternoon on Tuesday to go to Ohio State instead. Tuesday afternoon, Dax Hollyfield still doesn't know what he's going to do, and this is from a Charlotte Observer article, and he, is, he and his dad go to Take a trip to Walmart to go do something. <laughs> of all places. Yeah. <laughs> and they decide in the car on the way over that Dax is going to go to Virginia Tech. Tuesday night, Anthony Grant, by all accounts and all the information we've heard, told Virginia Tech's coaching staff he's going to sign with Virginia Tech on Wednesday morning. Yep. Wednesday morning, Grant wakes up, decides he's going to sign with Florida State instead. Tech coaches find out about it on Twitter, by the way. Yeah, I was about to say, didn't didn't Grant um, supposedly talk to them after he had well, already after. signed? He did. He they, they were, so they he were there. He they didn't were tell wait. them until after he had they, already signed. They woke. They were waiting for his LOI to yeah. be texted in. And fully so, expected it. And then they see on Twitter that he's going to Florida State, and they're like, oh, "What, man? The heck? Yeah, yeah." And and when you think of everything that rides on, I, I come on. I've I followed recruiting for many, many years. This is not my first rodeo. Yeah. But when you think of everything that rides on the decisions these kids make and that if you had, um, I wonder at the moment at which Dax made his decision with Jean-Baptiste still going to tech, you might've been able to find a slice of time there Tuesday where all three of those guys were coming <laughs> yeah. to tech. Yeah, really. And then you wind up getting one. And fortunately, you know, and, and let's not minimize this. Everybody says, oh, Anthony Grant's a three-star running back. Foo really wanted Grant. Yeah, Fuente really likes him. And the Jean-Baptiste thing kills me because he's he's a classic Virginia Tech guy all the way, a guy with a ton of potential, under-recruited. He really would have, I think, thrived here. And, you know, Ohio State comes by in mid-late January and lifts up their skirt, and boom, there he goes, you know. <laughs> That's enough to drive you crazy. Oh, man. Yeah, it, 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 that's accurate. And I think what I've learned, what my, my my thoughts on recruiting have evolved through the years, but I think I finally settled in on, you know, there's a mindset amongst Tech fans that Virginia Tech is not a good closing school. And, uh, well, this is two staffs in a row where, you know, you're losing signing day battles, right? It's not the staff. It's who you're recruiting against. It's Virginia Tech versus Ohio State. Yeah. It's Virginia Tech versus Florida State. Virginia Tech – cannot close against these schools, no matter who the coaching staff is, at the end. 
They have to close and, and, early. And there are some exceptions. There are, there Dax some, is an exception. But well, 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 Dax was North Carolina. But I thought, yeah, you know? I thought one of the best comments you made yesterday was the instant Florida State got involved with Anthony Grant, the instant he visited there, right. if they wanted to make another offer to Elijah Davis or somebody like that, right. you'd have made it. You know? yeah. and, and, and so let's look at uh, Devin Ford. Ford's involved with Clemson, right? Ford is involved with just about everybody. Yeah, everybody. I mean, he has Clemson, offers from, State. from every school yeah. in, in the country almost. I yeah. mean, USC has jumped in, Clemson, Ohio State, Penn State, uh, you, you, Alabama I'm pretty sure is offered. If you can pick a, a, a powerhouse blue blood program in football, there is a high chance that they've offered Devin at this point. I guess the only thing I would want from the Virginia Tech coaching staff on the recruitment of Devin Ford is don't Tyrod Taylor it. Don't tell Devin you're the only running back we're recruiting and then only recruit one running back. And that's what they did with Tyrod Taylor. You're the only quarterback we're recruiting and they only recruited one quarterback. They got him. Yeah. And they got him, you know, but just don't put all your eggs in that basket because, man, these, these schools are rough to recruit against. Yeah, you, and you have to close early. All right, if you – if you get a guy to commit over the summer. Yeah, he, know, he is yeah. going to commit in June, right? Uh, I don't know. That's what he says, anyway, right? Trey Turner had a Florida State offer, but Trey Turner committed to Virginia Tech over the summer. And Florida State is still re- recruiting dozens of players, a couple of hundred players over the summer. But you get it to the end, and Ohio State and Florida State are only focused in on three guys each and can bring all their resources to bear. It's really tough to close against teams with higher prestige than you. Yeah, uh, when they're really focused in on those targets, you have to get those guys committed before the end. And that's a solid point. Yeah. Uh, so to me, closing is a, for Virginia Tech is closing before February gets here, or be- now before so, uh, January. Say, so, gets so basically, here. you're saying that Virginia Tech needs to start getting their premier prospects in line in the dis- before the December signing yes. period. That yes. way. Yes. Once you come around to the February signing they, period, you can then well, focus on guys that are really gravy. That's in, why they in, were in, they in were essence. they were really pushing Javante uh, Jean Baptiste to sign in December because they knew that the big the big boys were gonna, were going to come in. Now I didn't I didn't necessarily think I thought Florida State was going to come in and offer because he just looks like a Florida State guy to me. But at, at any rate, it was Ohio State instead. But. Well, that, and now knew that gonna, was, the tech coaches knew that was going. And now he's going to play linebacker probably at Ohio State instead of playing defensive end at, at Tech. I, see, I, I don't, I don't think that's going to be the case. I mean, the guy's six foot six. Tremaine Edmonds is the only six foot six linebacker you see. I think Baptiste is six foot four, isn't he? Yeah, I mean, he's listed at six well, five. In watching film, wasn't one of the comments that he? Uh, well, I think everybody was equating him to Daddy Nicholas. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know. I, I I personally he's think he's a, a thin guy. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you redshirt. I mean, he's got the frame to play at two hundred sixty pounds. I mean, it's yeah. I, I think he's a defensive end. My, that's my personal opinion. Um, <sighs> Virginia Tech finishes twentieth in the ESPN rankings, twenty first in the Rivals rankings, and twenty second in the two four seven Sports rankings. Um, depending on where you look and what rating you use, they have anywhere from seven to eleven four star recruits in this class. Um, do you feel like Fuente has successfully, and I asked him this question yesterday, do you feel like Fuente has been able to successfully elevate the recruiting profile in the short time that he's been here? Yeah. I, th- I think uh, he straight up said that at the end of the Beamer era, there was a lot of questions. There was uncertainty. Yep. There was uncertainty. That was his word. So that's the first time he's actually talked about that. It is. Um, I think he's raised the profile to a certain extent. I don't think they would have gotten Dax two years ago. I don't think they would have gotten uh, Devin Hunter two years ago. Uh, and I feel very confident in saying that. So, yeah, I think he's raised the profile to a certain extent. Uh, I think it helps that, you know, you're now recruiting guys for the second or third year. You know, when he first got here, that first class, he only had a, a year to recruit those See, guys. Dax was all about the relationship, the long-term relationship they with, had. With Bud. Dax was not swayed by Dabo FaceTiming him from the Super Bowl. <laughs> right. You know, whereas Which other recruits... Which did happen. <laughs> yeah, other recruits that you didn't have that relationship with, when when Dabo FaceTimed him from the Super Bowl, might have gone, ah, I'm going to Clemson. You right. Know? Well, how does that? How is Dabo FaceTiming you from the Super Bowl going to help your career? Seriously, it's not. It's not you and but I. But you're know 17 that. years old. You you know. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, uh, also, I wonder if I don't think it does. But quick side note: shouldn't FaceTiming fit in under the dead period? Because that is face to face recruiting. Hmm. 
question. I mean, I, I, I think well, it, when, when did the dead period start? I believe the dead period started before the Super Bowl. Okay. They probably categorize it as a phone call. I, I believe they do, but that's face-to-face recruiting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's <laughs> Whatever. That's a gray area. Side note. But um, I, the, I was telling people this on the boards yesterday because I do feel like there is a – a um, substantial minority of Virginia Tech fans that believe that Fuente has not shown that he has the chops to recruit. And, well, hold on. So uh, the way I was telling them was this, is that in the last couple recruiting classes, Virginia Tech has successfully beaten out top-tier programs for several kids, and I named four in particular. Dylan Rivers, who they they got to flip Flip from Penn Penn State. From Penn State, yeah. Devin Hunter, who had offers from just about everywhere. Quincy Patterson, who was under-recruited and then got offers from everywhere, including Penn State. And then they get Dax Hollifield, who had offers from everywhere, and were able to fend off Clemson late, which came in super late and and still almost got him. Stanford and North Carolina, obviously. So I feel like Virginia Tech has shown, at least in the last couple years, that they're not going to do it all the time. They're not going to get all of the Anthony Grants in the world. They're not going to get the Taraja Mitchells all the time. But they have shown the ability to get these certain kinds of guys, and they've shown the ability to go up against premier competition to do it. Another one just came to my head, Walker Culver. Walker Culver was not a four-star kid, but he had committable offers, at least from what we understand, from Auburn and Ohio State. Mm -hmm. And Virginia Tech pulled him. You asked the question a couple of minutes ago, has he elevated Virginia Tech's recruiting profile? Has Fuente elevated Virginia Tech's recruiting profile? And off the top of my head, and we can talk about this, I think he's gotten it back to where it should be. Right. That, that um, seems fair, And which is still elevating it. Right. So the question is, what happens next? Um, yeah. When, when, the, when Tech really had it rolling in the early 2000s, uh, the 2001 recruiting class was phenomenal. Um, they beat out guys in uh, like around 2003. Um, uh, that uh, was D'Angelo Hall. Uh, well, 2001 was D'Angelo Hall, Kevin Jones, Brian Randall. Uh, 2003, 2003 was, was, Vince was Vince Hall, Chris Hall, Ellis, Xavier, Xavier DB. Yeah. And I thought that that was probably the peak of Virginia Tech. Recruiting. 2002 was Jonathan Lewis, Marcus Vick. Those three years, I think, were yeah. the peak of Virginia Tech recruiting because they were coming off the national title game appearance. We had been a winning program, top five team every year. Every year, at some point, right? In the season. right. It took uh, a lot of winning for Virginia Tech to be able to go out and beat the Penn States and the Florida States for the guys like Kevin Jones and D'Angelo yeah. Hall. It took winning for the better part of a decade and playing for a national championship before they were able to do it. Yeah, yeah. And so uh, Fuente has has put Tech at a certain level in recruiting. You can argue that it's not quite at the level Tech was at in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. The game has changed. The recruiting game has changed substantially since then. So really the question becomes, what's next? We, I think we all agree they're not going to be a top 10 or top 15 recruiting program. They're not going to be a big-time closing program against the, the nasty recruiting rivals like Clemson and Florida State and Ohio State mm-hmm. and Penn State, schools that really know how to close. Uh, so uh, I, I think he's gotten them. I think I'm, I'm satisfied with what he's done to where I think he's gotten them where they should be. And, you know, what happens next? And and as we talked about many times, I think for the program, it becomes an issue of development and winning some games and gradually continuing to increase the profile. I Virginia Tech's program always has been and always will be built around three-star recruits. The yeah, and that's why the Jean-Baptiste thing kills me. He, 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 it well, looks like he could have been a really great player. for. Well, Tech. he ended up being, if Tech had gotten him, he would have been their highest-ranked player in the class. Remember, he jumped no up like 100th wow. in the country. And that's when the, all the big boys jumped in, right? So you're a three-star recruit, right? So for a while there, Virginia Tech... I think your average fan just looks at star ratings and they just see the, sees the star ratings. So Seth Dooley signs with Virginia Tech and they say, oh, three-star defensive end. Okay. Well, guess what Seth Dooley's other offer is from VMI? Isaiah Ford, three-star receiver. 26 offers yeah. from Florida, Louisville, Florida State. A I mean, ton of Power 5 programs. you got to dig deeper than star ranking, right? I mean, there's a big difference between three-star Seth Dooley and three-star Alan Tisdale. Oh, you know, yeah, massive. massive and, and, and that's where Fuente is making a huge difference. I think there's more depth to Virginia Tech's classes right now. Uh, much better depth. I mean... You're talking about if you actually just straight up look at the rankings, and Eli Adams is one of the bottom five recruits in the class, and he had offers from like NC State and South Carolina and and Kansas State and teams like that, and he's like fifth from the bottom in the class. I mean, this Fuente's depth to his classes so far is just so much stronger 
when the depth in Virginia Tech class, uh, Virginia Tech's classes, the few years before he got here. Yeah. The uh, I believe in in terms of two four sevens composite rating, which I don't really particularly like to use. Um, outside of Oscar Shadley, who's a long snapper, right, uh, and, and a specialist, so his rating is obviously going to be deflated. I don't like even counting specialists when it comes to recruiting rankings. That, yeah. That's that's totally fair. Yeah, to Yeah, you're kind of stuck with it. But, yeah. Um, yeah. So, but I believe Caleb Stewart is the is the lowest rated right. recruit in terms of the composite rank mm-hmm. uh, composite rating, and he does not have a ton of Power Five offers, but he had, I believe, one or two, two and, yeah. and and he had a, an offer from USF, which. Right. Is a very respectable group of five program. It's not like he had an offer from um, uh, Florida International <laughs> right. or, or something along those lines, or a Florida Atlantic who's in the CUSA and Grand Lake. Or, or sorry, East Carolina. It's yeah, not like yeah, he's exactly. going to UVA or anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Wow. You know, I, well, speaking <laughs> of which, OxBT put together a a table of um, Virginia Tech's uh, recruits in terms of two four seven composite and UVA's recruits <sighs> in terms of two four seven composite. And um, it's not very good for the Who's right it's now. It's really hard for programs these days to change their recruiting profile. UVA has changed their recruiting yes, profile. They have. And, and in the wrong way. <laughs> Generally, you're kind of stuck where you are in recruiting, no matter who your coach, are, coach is, just because of your national profile and prestige. And I, I, I think history will say, and I don't mean this as a negative to Virginia Tech or Frank Beamer or anything. History will say that George Welsh meant more to their program than Frank Beamer meant to Virginia Tech's program. Look how bad they were before he got there, and look how bad they've been since he left. For those for those people who are probably my age and, and maybe slightly older, um, explain to people how UVA used to be oh, able to were recruit loaded. a while well, they were with George well, Welsh. Well, you know, it was people didn't recruit out of state as much back then, and Virginia Tech wasn't in a power conference uh, until they got into the Big East in the early 90s. And, you know, UVA was loaded with talent. I mean, go back and watch the 95 and 96 Virginia Tech versus UVA games. There's just so much NFL talent mm. on both of those teams. I mean, I mean, UVA had guys like, like Patrick, uh, Patrick Kearney and, uh, and uh, Jamie Sharper and, uh, and, and Anthony Poindexter. Um, it just got talent all over the field. The Barber brothers, I mean, they were just really, really, really good. I mean, they were the first ACC team to beat Florida State when Florida State joined the league. And now was, UVA is falling I mean, off. They were legitimately bringing in top 20 level. They didn't do recruiting rankings yeah, back then, yeah. but they would have been top 20 level classes every year back then. And even when Al Groh got here at the very beginning, I mean, they were signing five star guys like Ahmad Brooks, who still plays for the Green Bay Packers, Kai Parham, uh, you know, Michael Johnson, Ma- Michael Johnson, uh, you know, DeBrickishaw Ferguson, Morgan Moses. Yeah, yeah. I mean, some big time, big time recruits. And then they fire Grow and. You know, Mike London pulls in three five-star guys in one year, and everybody thinks he's a good recruiter. But in reality, he was an awful recruiter. He signed three top-level recruits, but the rest of their classes just were not highly rated at all. Uh, I mean, their recruiting profile, I mean, how bad they've been for a decade now has just completely destroyed their recruiting. And and Bronco's not the type of guy to to dig them out of that hole as far as a recruiting ranking standpoint. He, he, he is much more like Fuente in the sense that his um, his recruiting kind of philosophy right. is going to be built around uh, finding those diamonds in the rough type well, players. I, well, except in his case, my gosh, he's digging deep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is. I mean, yeah, I so mean, for, for a little insight into you know the kind of history of UVA recruiting, I don't pretend to be an expert in it, but I did grow up in Charlottesville, and I was deathly afraid of UVA's football program in the late 80s and early 90s oh, yeah. when they excelled way beyond what Tech was doing. Uh People who have been around Tech Sideline a long time will remember the name Jim Alderson. Jim used to run his own, what you would call a blog now, called the A-Line. And Jim wrote for us for a while. And, and Jim had had followed uh, ACC sports, ACC basketball, uh, UVA and Virginia Tech football for a long time. And he wrote something that, that stuck with me one time. He said, you know, George Welsh came in and UVA was improving. Now, dude, I grew up in Charlottesville and – and they were not good. No. Uh, you know, I remember they used to give free tickets to my little league football team, and and you know the twenty or thirty of us would go to a game, and we'd have an entire section of the stands to ourselves. Man. So so they, <laughs> they they were bad. Sounds and like then, some Virginia Tech basketball does. Sorry. So Welsh got there. <laughs> uh, Welsh got there in the early eighties, I guess, and and they started getting better. And um, then in the late eighties, what happened was Virginia Tech got put on probation. 
And I don't know what was going on with North Carolina, but if you go back and look at the records, North Carolina wasn't good either. North Carolina had lost Bill Hooley to Virginia Tech. Yeah. And, yeah. And, uh, well, that was actually the late 70s. That was late uh, 70s, right. But, 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 but yes, I guess they, they didn't hire a good coach to replace Bill Hooley. Yeah, so um, UVA's major recruiting opponents in the region were, were handicapped, Virginia Tech and, uh, and UNC. And Welsh got uh, – yeah, I don't know if you, and I know I know Chris remembers the name Terry Kirby. Terry mm-hmm. Kirby was the number one recruit in the country, and he was in the state of Virginia. I don't remember where from, and UVA got him, and they got Chris Slade at the same time. Great uh, defensive outside outside linebacker yeah. type. Played for the Patriots for a long time, I think, in the NFL. Yeah, and and they got uh, they got Sean Moore at yep. quarterback. I don't remember where he came from. Herman Moore. Damn these old. are these are great players. And Tech could actually not admit Herman Moore academically because the Hokies were on probation, and the administration was really upset at the old staff for letting in too many academically Marginal questionable academic players. Team. So Herman Moore actually got turned away from Virginia Tech when he wanted to come to Virginia Tech. I think it was and, a math thing. I think yeah, he needed three math classes something and like that, that yeah. too. But you know, UVA was able to uh, make great strides in recruiting at a time when all the best players in the state were going elsewhere. They were going to Penn State. They were going to Michigan. They were even going like to Boston that. College. Yeah. So so they they made great strides in recruiting, and then you know the rest is history. Frank started building this program, and and the other thing that Welsh did was that people have told me again, I'm not an expert on the UVA program. I think Welsh managed the relationship between the academic side and the football side better than probably anybody. Mm-hmm. Al Groh's downfall, I think, and I actually saw a poster on the Sabre say this the other day, Al Groh's downfall was when he lost eight recruits out of one class to academics. He was doing okay, and then they signed a class of about 22 to 25 guys, and the next thing you know, a few months later, it's like these eight guys aren't getting <laughs> – wow. Yeah, How'd you like to lose eight bad. guys from one recruiting class? Right. So, Yeah, and, you know, Groh started doing some things that – Previous coaches hadn't been doing like Ahmad Brooks, like uh, enrolling in January or going to yeah uh, yeah yeah. yeah. Didn't do the gray shirts yeah, until he yeah, got there exactly. So he he did some things where they just weren't UVA like. So the moment the moment he stopped winning, boom, he was done. And yeah. uh, you're right. And then that one class where they lost a third of their class to academics re- really hurt their program, and then they ran, they started running out of talent so to speak. Yeah. Like he couldn't maintain it over time. And, you know, it's a lot of coaches are successful for a very short period of time, but it's tough for them to maintain. And that's the amazing thing that George Welsh did at UVA is he maintained it over a long period of time. Frank Beamer maintained it over a long period of time at Virginia Tech. The thing is about Frank at Virginia Tech is, you know, Virginia Tech won football games before Beamer got here. I mean, Bill Dooley was successful. Uh, uh, Jerry Claiborne was successful. Frank Mosley was was successful. And then after Beamer, Justin Fuente has been successful. I mean, historically, Virginia Tech's a pretty successful football program. Not an, an elite one, but a pretty yeah. darn successful program. Uh, UVA, pre-Welsh, post-Welsh, not good. <laughs> not good. <laughs> very, very succinct there in your description. Uh, before we wrap up the podcast here, I want to ask you guys quickly, is there a range in the recruiting rankings that you feel Virginia Tech needs to fall next year in order to show the sustained success that they've had on the recruiting show? Is there a particular range that you want to see them in next year? Not necessarily because I don't know how many players are going to take. That's the and, other thing, too, uh, is the recruiting rankings are kind of skewed towards uh, taking I, I, more and more players. I, I'm starting to like the rivals' rankings because they only count the top 20 players for each class. Yeah, that's so, really so, interesting. So, so they understand that – well, if somebody only signs 18 guys in a class and another team signs 27, then that's going to that's going to change. Gonna, the... Right, right. I mean, I remember the the last time Virginia Tech signed like let's see, I guess the 2007 class they were ranked 18th. But they signed 32 guys, 30, 31 or 32 guys. Something, over 30 guys. Huge right. number. Huge number. And that's why the class was ranked so high. I mean, they had some good players in there, don't get me wrong, but the numbers will, will, will skew skew class rankings. And that's why you know, I, I've started to like look at rivals rankings because they they just cap it at twenty. You know, if you sign more than twenty guys, those last few guys, your lowest rated players in the class, they don't count towards your rankings. And I and I think that gives a better overall feel for your the average talent level that each yeah. each class is bringing in. Yeah. Well, no, I agree with that. Um, it's as far as again, it's highly dependent on how many players are they going to sign. They've signed a lot of guys the last two or three classes because. Fuente's trying to 
rebuild the program. Um, is he going to sign 25 guys next year or 21 or 22? We don't know. But uh, I, I, I would like someday to see them land between 15 and 20. Um, Why is that? Just because I think that's continuing to inch up a little bit, yeah. and and if Virginia Tech winds up with the, uh, with a class ranking somewhere between fifteen or twenty. Oh, oh, oh you mean fifteen to twenty? In terms not of not ranking. guys. I thought you meant ranked, fifteen to twenty yeah, guys. Okay. okay. Sorry about that. That was not clear. I would like to see them be ranked, have a recruiting class be ranked between fifteen and twenty, assuming it's the typical number of guys, twenty-two to twenty-five. Yeah. Um, well, that's I mean that's what Dabo was doing at Clemson. I mean, if you go and we've talked about this. If you go look at Clemson's recruiting rankings uh, prior yeah. to them well, becoming uh, a couple of those years, contenders. a few of those years though, they only signed like fourteen and sixteen players. Like, like that first year he came in, and everybody's like, "Well, his recruiting class ranking was about what Virginia Tech's was in Fuente's first year." Well, Dabo only signed fourteen players that first year, so and nine of them were four-star players though. Yeah, that's it's, true. it's just just go. That's another thing. It's like the number affected his class ranking. I, I agree. They've they've. They've uh, elevated their recruiting profile, especially with this latest recruiting yeah. class. Um, but, you know, they had to win to do it. Yeah, they did. And Virginia Tech's going to have to do the right, same right. thing. Well, and, and what got them there was not only getting some of those four- and five-star guys, but just uh, – I, I just think Clemson's done a phenomenal job of developing guys they like have. Hunter Renfro. Oh. And even Cleveland Farrell wasn't yeah. that highly recruited. Right, um, right. But in case you haven't heard this, Clemson signed the number one player in the states of North Carolina, South Carolina, South Carolina Georgia, Florida, Ohio, and Alabama. That's really hard to do. They they went into Ohio and got the number one player away from Ohio State. They went in Alabama, got the number one player away from Alabama. They went into Florida, got the number one player away from Florida State, right. Florida, Miami. They went into Georgia, and Georgia had, by all accounts, had the best recruiting class this year. And they still but got they, the best player they in didn't Georgia. get the number one player <laughs> in their own state. In their own state. Uh, you know, in Clemson. They signed two five-star defensive ends, and Xavier Thomas and KJ Henry. Right? Is it Xavier Thomas? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Tech fans will remember this name. Danny Pierman rec- was the lead recruiter <laughs> on both of those guys. Frank Beamer fired him for being an ineffective recruiter. We think it's what we always supposedly heard. They, or reassigned him. Right. Right. <laughs> anyway, now he's at Clemson as alma mater, and he's signing signing five-star five defensive guys. ends. Yeah. <laughs> it's it's not the coach; it's the school. I, I think coaches can can help, but I think a, a school's recruiting ceiling and their recruiting floor is always going to be. You're always going to be between a certain. You have to find coaches yeah. that can maximize your school's Correct. recruiting ceiling. And, right. and I think you can argue that Kirby Smart's doing that at Georgia. He is. Oh you yeah, know? Yes. he is. He has cranked up the uh, the the Nick Saban model to another level right. with Dan Georgia, Wolken, and it paid off. Dan Wolken at USA Today wrote a column, um, I guess it was a few weeks ago, uh, around, the national time of the na- the, around the time of the national championship game, and Wolken was saying that Kirby's woken up a, a sleeping giant in Georgia, and the fact that, you know, under Richt, they were always good, but they were never really good. They always underachieved. They were never able to finish consistently in the top ten. But now it seems like with his prowess in recruiting – and his ability to coach, uh, Georgia is going to be a, a factor in the SEC and in the national landscape for a while. I, c- I could deal with something a little different than a steady diet oh of Alabama and, and Ohio State. <laughs> you know, I used to watch NASCAR back in the day, it. and one of the reasons I quit watching is was like Jimmy, Jimmy Johnson's, Johnson won I, I five I, straight. I, it was, I think I quit watching after the third. I don't blame right, you. Right. So yeah. it's, it's Alabama every year and almost every year. I'm totally, Clemson broke up that monotony a little bit. Yeah. But uh, and I was I'm not an Eagles fan, but I was so glad they beat the Patriots. Yeah. I mean, I'm just tired of hearing. I mean, your major American sports right now, as far as football, is the Patriots and Alabama. It is boring when the same team it's, wins. It's, it's getting a little dull. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, hurry up and retire Brady. <laughs> hurry up and retire Belichick. Hurry up and retire Saban. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, make our sport more interesting again, please. I, I, I'm totally fine with Georgia being good in the SEC if they get rid of those gray pants. And I know Norm Wood is going to come after me for that. Yeah. But, man, I don't get it. Hmm. Just just wear white. It's not that hard. We need to dedicate a podcast to uniforms. Yes, we sometime. do. I think, I think that'd be but a very good well, podcast. And hold on. You guys will also claimed me to be a heretic the entire podcast yes well you are for my like of, of orange yeah. <laughs> okay yeah. is, is there anything else you guys wanted to add about text recruiting kind of um to kind of wrap up the 18 yeah, class about a, uh you know i think i've said most of everything i have the rest will be put in a 
TSL Pass article that will probably come out next week. And Which, if you don't subscribe, you should. You should. You should. And, you know, one last comment, and, and this this is going to come up. Um, we just don't feel that Quincy Patterson is a guy who's going to step in and compete yes, for the quarterback yes. job we right have, away. We have talked about this ad nauseum, all and, three and of us. we are going to have to write it and say it over and over and over. He <sighs> came from a high school that ran the ball 80% of the time. Yes. And Trent Dilfer said – and then when they do pass it, it's a quote-unquote simple passing game. Right. Quincy has a ton of potential, but it, he's going to have to bake he's for a He's got all the tools. That article that came out a couple days before signing day that everybody read, the Bleacher that's Report nothing article. that we weren't saying back in the summer. Yeah. yeah. It's everything we've already It's everything saying. we've already we been saying. We actually have a, an in-depth but, interview with Quincy on TSL. But, but, if you haven't read it, but, go read it. See, TSL subscribers already knew all of that. That yeah. was nothing new for TSL subscribers. It's just your... Your average tech fan who might not pay close attention, they're just now reading all that and they're thinking, oh my gosh, Quincy Patterson is is the next Michael Vick. Well, cool your heels a little bit, you know? Yeah. It's uh, He's very, very raw. He's going to have to redshirt. I think his long-term potential, his ceiling, or through the roof, as good as any player we've ever had here. Whether he hits that ceiling, I don't know. It's, it's going to be, it's, it's going to come down to a lot of different things, but uh just don't think he's going to be Superman the, the minute he sets foot on campus. I mean, remember, he's not even to even, Ma- even Michael Vick had to redshirt. Even Jameis Winston had to redshirt. Yeah, yeah. He's not going to be Tua Tagovailoa at Alabama, where you can come in in the second half of the national championship game and lead uh, a really, really struggling offense to a win over a fantastic Georgia defense. Right. But all right, folks, that's all the time we have for this podcast. Remember, if you want to subscribe or subscribe now, it's worth what will a combo meal. It is worth a combo meal at McDonald's, five ninety nine a month. <laughs> so bring a sandwich to work, and yeah, one day McDonald's is really bad for you. you subscribe to TSL instead. TSL is really good for you. It makes you smarter. Well, we we have a ton of TSL Pass content on the site as always. In terms of free content, we have a recruiting update, uh, an update kind of recapping National Signing Day. Fuente talks about Dax Hollyfield's recruitment a bit, and then also Fuente talked about his contract extension. And kind of the dynamic between Galen Scott and Bud Foster, which apparently Bud Foster kind of initiated that whole co-defensive coordinator thing. So maybe we'll have to hit on that later in this offseason. But until then, that's all the time we have for this podcast. For Will Stewart, for Chris Coleman, and for myself, Ricky the Blue, thanks for listening.